everybody, Corey here, and we have another Double Toasted interview. Now, this is another interview that is extremely difficult to do because the person that I have the pleasure of talking to today has done so much stuff. You can take a look at their IMDB page. It's one of those pages where you first look at it, you just get exhausted, tired looking at this uh, because they have done so much. Uh, I can only share with you, since they've done so much, I have to share with you at the beginning, one of the one of my favorite things that they have done, and everybody knows the character of Kronk from The Emperor's New Groove. Yeah, tell me about it. No, no, it's not you. She's not the easiest person to get close to. There's a wall there, trust me. Are you talking to that squirrel? I was a junior chipmunk, uh, and I had to be versed in all the woodland creatures. Please continue. Everybody, please welcome Patrick Warburton. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing good, Corey. I'm doing very well, thank you. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Uh, I, you know, I'm going to bring up something later to tell you, because uh, you're doing an independent movie right now. Uh, you, you're where in Indianapolis, you said? Yes. Yeah. And you're doing a, an independent movie one of my favorite things that you've ever done is an independent film, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, my question for you in the beginning was going to be, since you do so much work in both live action and in animation, I was going to ask you uh, if you were picking up any more animation work uh, since that's the case. But it sounds like nothing's stopping you. You're out there doing everything still. <laughs> well, first... Corey, I like to say you got to be well versed in all the woodland creatures. I never asked for anybody to remember. You know, I never asked for anybody to do the voices for me or anything, but I love it when people do, man. That's, that excites me so much. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana, right now, working on a on an independent film. I was charmed by the script and the role. I really thought I was gonna sit out this entire COVID mess until I ventured back to work, but it'd been a while. And, uh, I thought, you know, I like their COVID protocol. It seemed safe, but it's sort of frightening right now because uh, the numbers are all skyrocketing and, um, there's a lot of activity, you know, on a set, but knock on wood, we have uh, made it through the first couple of weeks of filming. So we'll see. You know, I got to ask you then because, Everybody's talking about safety with live action productions right now. And even big studios are trying to figure their way around it. You're on an independent production here. So what are the what are the safety measures that are being done or even better yet, knowing that COVID is out there right now? How did they sell you on the project to ensure that everything would be done properly and everything would be safe? Well, this is this is pretty much the protocol here. Um, hey, I didn't go to any bars or restaurants. This weekend, did you guys? <laughs> We're good. <laughs> they do have, uh, they got these uh, these guys, they're medics, that uh, test us every three days. So we got that, that going. Um, all cast and crew are supposed to, you know, I guess we're not, you know, cast doesn't end up having masks on mm -hmm. most of the time. The crew all does. We're all tested every, you know, we're supposed to wear our masks really when we're 
we're not working. But then that becomes a gray area because you're doing your dialogue, you're not, and they're calling actually not. And so then you end up, you're not putting your mask on because you're doing scenes and, you know. But uh, it's just, yeah, everybody, you know, you're just feeling it out. Everybody's trying to be as safe as they can be. We've managed with a relatively large crew to be to do all right these first two weeks. So hopefully we survive it. What's the movie about? Uh, it's called The Duel. Okay. It is. Uh, it's a, an interesting film about um, uh, a serious conflict between some young friends. I think that's all I can say. Right okay, now. we'll leave it at that then. You know what? Okay, so I will tell you what. Speaking of. All the stuff that you've done, as I said, you know, ex- extensive body of work. Uh, today, your beloved for your voice work, and also just uh, what you know, you you've been known to become uh, uh, the guy with the likable image, man. You know, everybody just sees your face before you say anything. They just they just love you. Uh, I, now, I want to start looking back at your early career, and bear with me for a moment because I need to show a couple of things to sort of put stuff in context. Um, so, one, I want to take a look at something that you did early on in television. I believe that this is uh, um, it's a pilot. I don't know if this is the first thing you've done, but this is a pilot oh. for something called Life's a, Life's a Banquet. We're going to take a look at a very young Patrick Warburton. Good morning, all. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Study for that this test today, terrible. big guy. <laughs> I have a test today? No, no, not you, Mike. David. David has a test today. Good thing, because I didn't study. Don't you find it remarkable that his brain can generate enough power to keep his legs moving? Yes. Now, that's sort of the Patrick Warburton personality that we know. Uh, but I have one. Now, that's television. Now, I have uh, one, I believe, one of your first, if not your first movie roles, which is uh, more of a dramatic role. Also featuring somebody that you acted again in animated form. Uh, this is something called a dragon art. And an innocent man. You have no evidence. Arrest him! Is accused of murder. <laughs> to survive, he must lead the people to revolt. Be to end the reign of a brutal dictator. We show them no mercy. Oliver Reed, Eartha Kitt, and Herbert Lom. Master. And they didn't say Patrick Warburton. I thought they were going to say that, but they did say Eartha Kitt, which, again, we know that you have uh, starred with with uh, uh, in The Emperor's New Groove. Now, the reason why I showed those two things right there, first, and let me just say, man, that uh, too bad they're not making Disney live, they weren't making Disney live action remakes at the time. You would have made a hell of a Disney prince, man. You know, right there with Ariel <laughs> and everything. Um, but, you know, Looking at specifically the movie role, uh, that was more of a serious role, role, more of a dramatic role. Uh, When you were first starting out with your career, uh, did you have any kind of different ideas, ambitions? Did you want to be more of a a serious actor? Did you want to be more of a a, a romantic leading man? Well, I've been I've managed to be able to diversify throughout the years, but um, Dragon Art and Master Dragon Art Hell it would be horrible examples. Those were films I did when I was 22 years old. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I got <laughs> I got to go to South Africa with Eartha and, uh, and Oliver Reed, and 
an interesting cast, but to, to do some horrible films, and I really was the worst thing in them. I, I, uh, you know, they were islands colonized by the Brits in the 16th century. I remember saying it's a. They were produced by the the this now long defunct Canon Corporations, and they were notorious for making low budget, cruddy movies. And these were a couple of them. And um, I remember saying, uh, you know, uh, at the time, uh, I should obviously work in a dialect, and they just said no. It doesn't matter. And <laughs> I really do look like I was just sort of transported back in time. But they're horrible films, but it was an amazing experience because I spent almost uh, every night hanging out and uh, drinking with my friend Oliver Reed. And I have amazing <laughs> stories. And it was just an amazing experience. So you can look back and go, well, this was just a horrible production. And, um, uh, it's 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 no work that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm proud of, but it was an amazing experience, and so that's what the takeaway is from that. Yeah, you know, I, and I didn't bring that up. Dragon Eyes, where you led a slave revolt, I believe, and whatnot. I didn't bring that up to be like, ha ha, look at this terrible movie. I'd never seen it before. You know, again, people, <laughs> you know, I wasn't trying to do a gotcha thing. Ah, look at you, you son of a bitch. Now, you know, it was like, it was just uh, so different from what we see mostly you doing today. And that's why, you know, I was, I was just wondering, you know, at the time, being, being so young, just what you were thinking about when you yeah. were entering the industry. Well, Corey, so much of it was so absurd. And when you think about it, because, yes, it, it took me along with uh, the character Calabar to team up and start the slave revolt. And uh, Calabar is played by um, an actor and bodybuilder. His name is Martin Dewey. And he's also a, a fighter. He was a fighter, uh, a professional fighter in South Africa at the time. So our director, his name was Gerard Kikoi, a Frenchman who had to, uh, I needed to explain that, um, <laughs> uh, who, had only, who had only directed uh, blue movies, apparently, up to this point. So there's one moment in this film where Calabar and I grab hands. And I can see this. We grab hands. And Gerard walks up to us and goes, when you grab his hand, I want you to put your thumb in the air like this. I go... I don't know if they did that back then. And I think the fonts might have invented that. Gerard goes, he goes, no, 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 do it. They will love it. Who's they? Like, <laughs> audience? Hey, we did it. It's in the movie. The, the movie's just, it's absurd. It's one of those fun movies to watch because it's, um, it's like super culty bad. It's like. It's just ridiculous the whole way. <laughs> Someone had asked me, they say, so you worked with Oliver Reed and they're very excited about that. And they, you know, and they, I guess they just got in because they're saying, well, um, was it difficult working with him? But you said you had some great times and uh, some good Oliver Reed stories. Do you want to share one of those stories? Well, yes, uh, he, um, I remember on the set, you know, every now and then he might offer me a little bit of whiskey around 10, 11 a.m. And uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll join you this evening, but um, uh, not right now. But um, I just would, you know, sort of um, would tag along with him because, uh, you know, I was like his boy. He was 49 years old. I was 22. And. And uh, we bonded, thankfully, um, you know, uh, a very interesting man. But he was, 
I remember hanging out in um, his room like the fourth or fifth night with him and his wife, uh, Josephine, I believe was her name. She was 24 at the time. He was 49. He met her when she was 16. (laughs) Uh, Uh, He met her when she was 16? Yes. Wow. That's a true player right there, man. Uh, Uh, Apparently, she picked him up. I don't know. (laughs) Back when you could do that, I guess. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You know, one of the characters that you are known for today out of many, many so far, is Joe Swanson. Uh, the wheelbar- the wheelchair-bound cop from Fam- Family Guy right here. The show that just hit his uh, 350th episode. Uh, you've done this character for years. Uh, as, you, you know, as you have uh, with a lot of characters. But, you know, when you've done something like this for so long, are you going to... What's the mindset when doing something that long, you are you gonna miss this 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 gig and this character when they're gone, or is it like okay, I've done this, I do so much, time to move on to the next thing? Uh, no, this is one where you just feel blessed and fortunate that you've been in, invited and uh, you've been able to participate as long as you have. I mean, uh, I love satire. It's uh, it's edgy, it's dangerous, but that's that's where you know, like some of these edgy cartoons, like. South Park and, and Family Guy can mm-hmm. play, you know, where, um, you know, uh, you, you see things. It's, it's, it's a show that's upset my parents for years. They beg me. <laughs> so your parents actually pay attention to what you do then? They do. Well, they hear through their news sources. And whatnot. They're very conservative. They're uh, just, you know, um, and, uh, you know, anything that, you know, might you know, be, you know, gag on Catholics, but there's gags on Catholics and on Jews and on every religion, you know, it's just, that's the nature of satire. Yeah. We, uh, I've had to explain that to them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a good way to, to ask, ask this next question. So you talk about satire, you're talking about, uh, you know, politics and the social issues that are involved with that. Uh, so recently, Family Guy, got caught up with a few other shows uh, with this controversy on voice casting and voice actors doing voices for characters of a different race. Uh, So on Family Guy, that definitely happened. That happened with uh, the character of Cleveland, which your character, Joe, is sitting right next to right here. Uh, Cleveland is uh, the character, uh, or the voice actor who did the character, Mike Henry, Mike Henry's going to be replaced by a black actor. Uh, I believe the character, the, the actor's name is Arif Zahir. Um, so, as a prominent, so now, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. So this, this season, they've been recorded. They had already recorded all last season, I guess, with Mike. And so this new season that we're doing is with the the new actor. Yeah. Well, as a very prominent voice actor yourself. Uh, how did you feel about this trend of recasting when it started to kick off? Uh, you know, and did you have much, uh, did you have much interaction with, uh, with Mike Henry? Well, I do. Yeah. Mike's a great guy and they love him over there. So, but he does other voices on the show, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and so, um, 
so he's doing, he'll be doing other things on the show, but I, I'm obviously supportive of anything that it, where is, you know, if there's a, a social movement, if people are, uh, you know, offended, if that's the way things, things need to be, that, that then there are necessary changes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, you know, cause I, it, people say what you just said. Sometimes they say, you know, well, why are they making such a big deal about this? Because it's a satire. And then other people are like, well, you know, satire has a certain bounds. So, uh, you know, I can definitely see where, you know, you could come in and be like, well, this, I, I support this, you know, I'm not, I'm not this person over here and I have to kind of respect how they feel. Here's the, I just want to show just in case people, uh, are not familiar with Family Guy. I don't know who you are. This is both the character of uh, Cleveland and Patrick Warburton's character, uh, Joe, in the same scene right here. Oh, man, we got to help Peter. Those crazy European <laughs> guys are going to kill him. You know, I have a gun in the bag I checked. If we can get to the galley, we can take the elevator down to the cargo hold. Good idea, Joe. Oh, man, it feels like we're in one of those hijacking movies. You're right, it does. There's even an impatient businessman who really wants to reach his destination so he can conduct more business. Can't you see how important I am? My shirt is blue, but the collar is white. It's the same shirt. Quick, he's distracted. <laughs> you know, uh... I, I, I didn't hear any of that on my end. Oh, you didn't? No. Ah, I don't know why. I, you heard every other clip I played, right? Yeah, I heard the, um, sort of. It's not great audio here in my... Uh, well, people on our end can hear it, but that's... i tell you what it was. It was the uh, scene where you and Cleveland were on the plane and it was getting hijacked. Played this clip where the, the, the business guy was going to complain about, uh, his, you know, I have, I have a blue shirt on. How dare you take up my time? So that's, that's a clip that I played right there. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, so you, you talk about how your parents are... They look at some of the stuff that you've done, like Family Guy, and they're like, ah, I don't know about this. And again, you haven't done so much over the years. When you see these kind of trends happening, do you start to think like, well, you know, I don't know, they're going to look back on something that I did and try to catch me, you know, or try to counsel me or, do, or whatever, try to pin, pin something against me? Yeah, well, I'm always concerned. Look, when you're on a, a show like that, um, that, you know, it's going to, you know, ruffle some people are offended by it. Some people, you know, love it. I've had, you know, um, I've met a lot of people in wheelchairs who just love it, love it to death. <laughs> I'm concerned that, you know, that there are those that will find it offensive. And it's one of those things where it's, um, you know, it's just not for everybody. That's just it. And I guess, you know, the sort of the nature of satire is offensive, you know, in many ways it's satire is always going to offend somebody. That's what makes satire satire. Yeah. You know, uh, going back into uh, live action work. And again, I told you, I was going to ask you about, uh, I'll bring up something that had to do with independent film. Uh, you know, you're, you are definitely on a lot of people's, with some character or some property, you're on a lot of people's favorite of list. This is my favorite character. You're on my favorite show. Um, you are in one of my favorite movies of, of all time. Uh, and this is a movie back that you made back in, uh, well, it came out and did the independent circuit back in 1999. And that is, and I'm going to play a clip right here. That is The Woman Chaser. Yeah, is a clue to the whole damn movie. Now, as far as the theme is concerned, the movie is about America. 
Mr. Average American. This is a movie where you played, and this is based on a novel by Charles Wilford. You played a used car salesman here, or you owned a used car lot, and you got bored, and uh, it just so happens in your boredom, you went off and made what a couple of people considered to be the one of the greatest movies of all time. And it was so great that it couldn't be shown and eventually drove you crazy. Um, I, uh, I interviewed you about this movie back in uh, 1999. You were at South by Southwest. You wouldn't remember it. You actually tackled me to the ground during an interview. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, I, you know, that, that movie I loved so much. And I remember when I talked to you, you said that it was a role that you uh, that you really fought for at the time, you know, because it, it almost did seem like you wanted to show something, uh, a different side of yourself. How do you feel about the movie today? Well, I I feel like it uh, it certainly stands up. Look, it, it was it was dated when we made it. It was, you know, it was filled with <laughs> It was very stylized. Um, Robinson DeVore, uh, he wrote and directed it, and uh, it was great working with... Uh, uh, Rob, very, very um, interesting filmmaker. And uh, and uh, it was uh, quite the venture. You know, we, we did it. We had a very low budget. We, it was guerrilla filmmaking. We had to um, steal locations and get in and get out of places. But um, on, on such a low budget really made it look like, you know, 1959 America. And, uh, I thought it, you know, it plays well. It's really interesting. Uh, I've had people come up throughout the, throughout the years, you know, like, uh, if I, I might be an admirer of their work and then, and then, and uh, they, we might not know each other, but they might approach and say something. I bumped into Patton Oswalt at uh, Disney's Imagineering one day and always been a big fan of Patton's. And I just find him to be very, very sharp. I love his perspective on things. And, and he just came to me and said, I love The Woman Chaser. I think it's a genius film. And he loved the irony and all that. And um, it's me, so it's meaningful on, on levels like that with these little movies that never really got out there to have people in the industry come up and go, I love that film. It's great. But we had a small art house release back in, I guess, 2000. But we had debuted at the New York Film Festival and then at Sundance. And... Um, um, uh, but it's uh, it's fun to watch because it is uh, odd. Yeah, I, I think it's a, a extremely underrated movie. I put it up in my top five films. I, you know, I I show I I, I try to have uh, viewing parties and I, you know we were even planning a festival where we we're going to show two of our what we considered to be most underrated movies and uh that was one of them and it was before uh, right when covid hit that we couldn't do it and we had one of the directors coming in from one of the movies and but the woman chaser was going to be one of those films i i just love that film man uh yeah. you know so it's, oh, that's uh, cool, Corey. no it's an honor to be able to even oh. you know tell you that personally because I, I think more people need to see that movie um yeah. you know uh when i look at that movie i you know i see some uh, i see something different from your other work uh, today, you know, you're, you're a brand and you're a brand that people love, that people instantly recognize you, whether they see you or hear you and they, you know, and they love you immediately. Um, and maybe you have done something like this, but is this something that you haven't done yet that would be a complete departure from what we see or hear from you today? 
Um, I'm always sort of, I'm always looking for that. I'm, I'm, uh, <coughs> COVID. Um, <laughs> see, there you go. Making that movie. We're always looking for, I'm always looking for something interesting and, and, and different and, uh, you know, opportunities. I, you know, I've never had a, a mustache, you know, this was a, <laughs> this was a, during the quarantine, just sort of a, a gag, uh, me and all my boys, we all shaved down to a mustache <laughs> for fun. And yeah. then I kept mine. I still have trouble taking myself seriously, looking at in the mirror with this thing. But uh, now I'm working playing a character in a film named Christoph, who's a, a, a dealer of antiquities, and he also has a, a niche market in supplying uh, the uh, you know the tools and the weaponry for dueling. Mm-hmm. So, so it's perfect for Christoph. Yeah, you know I gotta but, say when uh, when you popped up, I could only see your 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 eyes first. And then the mustache came up and it did throw me off. I just thought about that. Like I've never, yeah, never seen you with a mustache before. Yeah. It's the first in my 55 years. It looks great. I like it. I like it. Very debonair. Uh, (laughs) You know. Makes me look smarter, I think. What's that? Makes me look smarter. You know, I I wouldn't insult your intelligence like that. I don't know if it makes you look smarter, but, you know, it's different in a very good way. I like it. Uh, you know, I uh, was uh, also taken aback recently by the news of the Venture Brothers. You know, the Venture Brothers is is another sh- long running show uh, where you played the homicidal bodyguard for uh, the Venture family. Uh, we'll show a little clip of that right here. Brock Sampson. Brock Sampson. That's right. Dolly's goods. I mean, they can't sing forever. Honestly, this nonsense happens once a week. I'm not gonna... Why are you naked? To prey on their fear. Move like an animal to feel the kill. All right, now you're scaring me. <laughs> you know, that's a... Uh, that is a character that is so beloved by a lot of people, you know? And, uh, yeah. and, and it's funny because you're, you're always finding a different audience. You're always finding a new generation to connect to. Uh, that character is very popular uh, with a very young crowd right there. Uh, you, you, not as long is, is that not as long as Family Guy, but that's the character that you've done for a while. Uh, a lot of people right now just asking, you know, your experience on working on the Venture Brothers. What's that like? That's been uh, uh, it's a lot of fun. It was the result of actually working on the Tick originally when I did the Tick with Ben Edlund and Barry Sonnenfeld back yeah. in the day in uh around you know 2000 and chris mcculloch who's uh, a very good uh buddy of ben edlin's and it was like his right hand man on the tick is one of the two uh writers and creators of the venture brothers and uh it's funny but we you know seven seasons later they would do a season every two years or so mm-hmm. and maybe 10 more episodes that would be it so it was it was slow in production and to this day, and I'm always screwing up which one Chris is, whether it be Doc Hammer or Jackson Public. I'm pretty sure Chris is the Jackson Public. Because those are the two the two names of the, the guys. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I, I know you, you, you're like looking at me for a landline. I couldn't help you, man. <laughs> I don't <Okay>. know. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like, I was hoping you would know because I don't know. I know the names, but I'm like you. I don't know who's which. It's been so long since so I've seen it. I love doing this because I just know that, uh, you know, eventually this will show up and Chris will look at it and he will just curse my name and say, really? Really? <laughs> 20 years now. Really? It's not that tricky, Patrick. You know, um, you were you expressed your disappointment, even though the production was kind of off and on. You expressed you expressed your disappointment with uh, with the show being eventually canceled. Uh, you know, I have a, I'm even showing a, a tweet right here from Jackson uh, Public. Uh, so you know, you've uh, after having done so many characters that people know. I mean, all of them come to an end eventually at some point. Uh, what is one or what are some of the things that have that have ended that you just you just miss dearly? You would just love to have a chance to do it again. Well, everything you know comes to an end. Um, uh, you know, when when I did the tick originally, we did nine episodes. That was very short lived, and it would have been great if we got you know shot to do more. But mm-hmm. we all felt that it really was a little bit before its time. Most of the critics at the time said this is a, just a an imaginative, wonderful show, too good for television. It's going to get canceled. And they, they were right because at the time it was the most expensive half hour show Fox had done. It was single camera. It was a parody on superheroes and mm-hmm. nobody'd seen that. And it was, we did nine really, you know, you know, fun, clever episodes and Fox just sort of fed us to the dogs. They, they didn't even put us on the air for a year. They didn't want to spend the money on the show. And then they just, instead of putting us up in a good s- slot, like a Sunday night slot, what they were supposed to do. They, they stuck us up on Thursday nights against second year survivor and just tried to murder <laughs> us with radiance because they want to be able to legit, you know, uh, rationalize why they're, they're doing something. So the tick would have been fun, but you know, anything, all things come, come to an end, but the, what's, what's fun is just that there are new audiences. I mean, there are literally new audiences for, for Seinfeld now, people just sort of discovering that new generations for that. And, People discover things that you did, and then you know you get to talk to talk about them anew. Some things, uh, you know, end up lasting too long. Some things just don't last long yeah. enough. Yeah, nice. No, well, like I said, you don't ever seem one to be at a loss for being busy. Seems like when something's over, you're just ready to jump into something new. I even uh, I caught him in one of his business calls too. He's like, "Yeah, next season I'm gonna be doing this and that." And I was like, "Wow, this guy is constantly doing something here," you know. <laughs> Well, no, I'm not that, that that busy. I uh, I uh, I mean, I'm doing this film right now because uh, just been sitting around for like the last year. I had spent a couple of years in in Vancouver doing a series of unfortunate events with Barry Sonnenfeld, which is just an amazing, amazing experience. Anytime you get the opportunity to work with Barry and a great cast and and just great material, and then. The next year, um, my wife and I just traveled because we raised four kids and we've, we haven't been able to do that together. So I went to Africa with World Vision, then went on a safari. We went to Peru with my sister and brother-in-law. We went to Alaska and Ireland and London and had um, an amazing year traveling around, which is great. And we're so thankful for it now, especially with everything being shut down. And then we were in quarantine for, um, you know, we've been in quarantine for months and months. So it had been, uh, you know, two years since I did anything on camera other than voiceover work. So mm-hmm. 
that's why I'm here. You know, you're doing so much voice work. Do you have a studio built at home uh, so you can just record from there? Yes, a small setup. It's uh, it, it's decent. It, it works at times, but um, usually with Family Guy still going to a, a, a studio. Yeah, it still is best to go in, and it helps them keep us um, keep everything um, within within uh, a uh, not words fail me. You know, just a consistent. You want you want consistent recordings. And you're not really getting that if you're getting it from everybody in different studios at their homes and whatnot. I guess they can change things, work work, work with levels and whatnot inside when they, uh, they piece it all together. But it's sort of best to get everybody in the same studios, I think. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, you, you talked about your kids. And you have four, four kids. At least that's what I read. You have four kids. One of your kids... I don't know if this is your oldest, but you have a, uh, a kid named Talon, 28, yeah. I believe. Uh, yeah. It sounds just like you. Now, I don't know if this is uh, his voice or if this is uh, an imitation, but he was in this, he was in the remake of uh, Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy yeah. VII. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people, and I'm going to play a little snippet right here. I'm sure a lot of people thought that this was you in the game. You don't want to mess with the monsters in here. Move along now. <laughs> and just where do you think you're going, huh? Burning the midnight oil, are we? Keep your head on a swivel out there, Merc. You know, so that's your son, man. Is uh, it, now does yeah. he does he talk like that, or has he just been around you so long that he can just do oh, your voice? That, that sound, he's just having fun there, and uh, he can do. <laughs> <laughs> I just assume if anybody takes word from me, it'd be my son, Talon, or my son, Gabriel, who's also an actor. Um, but, uh, you know, Talon, he does his, you know, he does his own, his own thing, but he does have, you know, we do have very similar voices. You know, it's mm -hmm. just how Gene's work. So he, he can do his own thing. He can also goof around and uh, do sort of, uh, you know, uh, something that sounds very, you know, similar to dad. But uh, <laughs> yeah. he's a beast. He's like six four. He's actually done bodybuilding competitions. He's not um, quite as big as he once was. He's toned down a bit, but mm -hmm. he's a trainer. He's just very, he's very, very smart. He's very well read. He reads a book a day. <laughs> Japanese. He was a beekeeper when he was 11. Wow. He's, just, he's fascinated by so many different things. And he's uh, got such a wonderful heart. Always referred to him as Talon, the lion heart. But they're all, they're just all, We've been very blessed. We have four amazing kids that all love and support each other. And it's been a really great family unit for years. Everybody's really close. Yeah. You know, I've, I looked up some, uh, looked up some, when I was looking at pictures of Talon for that clip right there, I have to tell you, uh, Talon, you're right, man. The pictures I looked at of him are guy's huge in some of these pictures it's like someone was in the chat was saying like he's he's the real brock sampson you know so yeah. like like when you look friendly you're a big guy and you look friendly and you're and you're extremely nice your son scares the hell out of me man uh, you know i'm not gonna lie yeah. he's like wolverine yeah oh yeah and he's big like i said he's you know just shy of five feet um yes and then uh uh, do you have any of Gabriel too? Huh? You, you know what? Gabriel? I I can 
I can look up uh, is uh, your son Gabriel. Is he as big as? Uh, as he is Tyler? not, but he is adorable. Boy, he's just when Gabriel he started in high school. <laughs> uh, he played uh, Conrad Birdie in Bye Bye Birdie, and um, and just because he, he kind of brought like the Val Kilmer, um, you know uh, when uh, well, what was that? Um, movie Val, Val did love it um, like the Naked Gun movies back in the day yeah do you know what I'm talking which film I'm talking about wait, wait a minute I was, so I was looking up your son which which movie are you talking about again describe it well uh, I'm just saying Gabriel brought a very much of a Val Kilmer performance to- oh 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 I know which one you're talking about ah uh, it was the one where Val Kilmer played a spy in France and yes the- yeah uh, oh, uh, top secret! Top secret! Yeah, there you go. So your son has a Val Kilmer vibe going on. Warburton, it's top secret. <laughs> top secret, you dummy! It's a classic. We probably watch it once a year. I don't know. My brain's not working. Um, but uh, yeah, so they're both going to the biz, and uh, they're doing great, you know. But it's a challenging biz to get into and get you know going, especially during uh, this time. Yeah. Is the whole family going to be going into the entertainment business? You think? No, my son Shane is, uh, he's been a pilot since he was 18. He's, he's doing all kinds of uh, different things right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and my daughter, Lexi, probably the most talented of the bunch, beautiful, amazing singing voice. <laughs> Just no desire to be in the public eye. Very private person. So, um, she first got into nursing, uh, nursing school at the top of her class, left that because she she couldn't handle the tactile, the the, the blood and all that stuff. She's just she's smart enough to, to be at the top of her class when it came to all that. But then when it came to having to touch people, that bothered her. Uh, and so she got her degree in accounting and did that for a year and, and hated how beat up they got. So she quit that. And now she's looking at something else. Yeah. You know, uh it seems like you have a very soft spot for children in general. Uh, in addition to all of the acting and voice work that you do, you, you still find the time to go out and do a celebrity golf tournament. And you do this to raise money for St. Jude's Hospital. I think this is something that you've been doing since 2011. Here's, a, here's you in action right now, getting the event together and talking about uh, your involvement here. It's because we have such a great team and the people in the Coachella Valley here have been very supportive. It's the biggest golf tournament event in the nation for St. Jude. It's fun for you know my wife and I to stand back and look and, and just marvel at how big this whole thing's gotten. Celebrity chair of the Warburton Celebrity Golf Tournament, Patrick Warburton. You know, th- I think there's even a story where... Uh... The first date you had with uh, your then future wife, uh, she saw you wearing an emblem for St. Jude's Hospital, uh, which I don't know if she was involved with at the time, but it was something that has sparked something immediately uh, coming uh, for you. Yeah, very close to Corey. Yes. No, I had just done a little bit of uh, volunteer work reading stories at uh, Chalk, which is Children's Hospital in Orange County, mm-hmm. like 40 years ago. So... Um, so, uh, but I guess we were on a date and I guess she saw my coat in the back seat of my car for that. And, 
I, you know, I probably just left it there because I thought this will impress her. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't even volunteering at the time. You just stole a coat and just put it in the back yeah, seat. Yeah, yeah. I need a children's hospital coat. I got <laughs> I'll get to her. Uh, but, uh, she saw that. But we started this event for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital uh, over 10 years ago. And by year three or four, it was the number one event of its kind in the nation for St. Jude. So um, uh, we've done very well. I think we've raised almost $15 million in uh, 10 years for the hospital. And it's a golf tournament. And, but we have, a, you know, a uh, uh, we're kind of famous for our jam. We'll have maybe nine rock and roll hall of fame artists. So the concert goes for, you know, uh, it's gone almost five hours at times. Yeah. You know, is that something that you've always done? You know, just giving back, working with charities, uh, doing volunteer work. Did you ever volunteer when you were younger? Um, yeah, well, like I said, when I was younger, for a brief period of time, I did that, would do, go over to the Children's Hospital and read. But I always found that doing things like that, um, you know, help. What my wife and I wanted to do was try to, um, we wanted to do something. We've always felt uh, very, um, uh, you know, uh, I say fortunate that we have four healthy children and mm-hmm. And uh, you can't help but feeling, you know, blessed for, you know, and we want to help those, want to help those that don't. And um, so if you have a sick child, you know, you know it's unfortunate to have a sick child, but um, at least uh, it's in a day and age where you are fortunate enough to have a hospital like St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So, you know, back in the day, even back in the, the 60s, for instance, the, uh, the, the mortality rate for um, leukemia was, uh, the survival rate was 4%. Today it's 94%. Nice. Overall, with most of these pediatric cancers and the blastomas and whatnot, it used to be maybe a 20% cure rate, and now it's an 80% cure rate. So um, with the work that they do, and since they're non-proprietary, they share it with the rest of the world, and they've always been at the forefront of uh, you know, therapies and cures. It's just the best hospital in the world you can help. And so we want to do something outside of just trying to be the best parents that uh, we can be. And because no matter what, at times you're going to fail as long as you, <laughs> you love and you listen. <laughs> but, you know, uh, so it's been a great thing for the whole family to be involved in. Wow. I'm looking at some of the comments in our chat and they're like, my cold, dead heart has warmed up again. Some people like they, they you've been an inspiration to people right now. Some of these people act like they know you like, oh, this guy, great person, great family, man. He's raised great children, great golfer. I don't know if some of these people know you personally, but everyone, <laughs> everyone is in love with you right now. Uh, Everyone's like great. Dad. I'm a horrible golfer. I love golfing, but I just uh, I, I, I just uh, not great. Well, you're better than somebody over here because they think that you're awesome. So, you know, <laughs> you can just put that out there. Uh, look at this. Such a soul. Oh, this man. I, lo- I love this man, this man here. And uh, people keep asking, how did I get an interview with Crunk? So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you don't mind, I would just like to take just a real, real quick five minutes because I never get a chance to do this. Because, again, I, uh, I talk to a lot of people, but to talk to someone like you who you know, your, your, your career has been incredible. 
I can't, I can't possibly cover it at all everything that you've done. The only thing I can really do from this point is probably get the chat to ask some questions about things that you have done and what they've enjoyed. So can you, can I just do that real quick? Yeah, sure. So uh, as soon as I can get through all these nice things people are saying about you, we'll get to a question. You're awesome, man. Patrick rocks. Uh, you need to write a book. Somebody said, uh, so people, you've been asking questions the whole time. If you have any questions for, uh, for Patrick right now, this is the time to do it. Um, okay. So this is, uh, this is Ryan. And this is a good question because you're taking on a voice that was done by somebody else. What was it like voicing Buzz Lightyear in the Buzz Lightyear of Star Command TV show, especially when somebody else has done that voice? Oh, that was funny because I knew when I got that opportunity, I remember what it was like when I was a kid. You'd fall in love with a movie and a character. And then we'd have the Saturday morning cartoons. That's when the cartoons came on. Yeah. And then they have the cartoon of the movie and you watch it. And then you're like, oh, that's not the guy. That's not the real guy doing the voice. So I immediately knew that I would be the poor man's Buzz Lightyear. But I'm like, absolutely. I'm in. I'm in. I'll take it. And then it's funny because I ended up working with Tim Allen a number of times, and Tim and I are friends, but we give each other a little bit of you know good-natured ribbing about our different buzzes and whatnot. And then... We did a movie called Big Trouble in uh, Florida. And then we did this movie called Joe Somebody, where I smack him to the ground in front of his 10-year-old daughter. One of the ugliest things I've ever done on film. I never <laughs> even let my kid watch this because the, the ugliest thing I could imagine is a, is, is a man uh, hitting another man in front of his child. I think that's uglier than war, guns, anything. Do you know what I'm saying? It's just like, yeah. it's just so brutal. And so it was on that day, I looked at Tim as I smack, I smack him, and now he's on the ground. I go, I must be your worst nightmare. I voice your character. I'm following you from set to set. Now I'm beating you up. I'm <laughs> <your kid. laughs> yeah, we're friends. We're friends. One day, Tim and I were playing golf, and um, I'm such a fast eater. And I realized that I had eaten my lunch before Tim had started his. And I looked at him, and I go, I'm so sorry, Tim. Uh, I eat like I either had older brothers or I was in prison and I had neither. And Tim, without a beat, said I had both. <laughs> and now you're this man's bully. You're taking his role, <laughs> you're pushing him to the ground. By the way, I know you say it's a terrible thing, but somebody in the chat said that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. So it entertained someone. Uh, let me see here. Uh, uh, let me see. Let me see. Because we already reco we, we covered this at the beginning. Uh, but I'll, you know what? I'll ask it. I don't, I, I don't usually like to ask this kind of question now because it makes because sometimes people don't want to talk trash. But I'll ask it anyway, since somebody put it out there. Uh, are there any roles over your huge career that you have regretted or you didn't like too much? Didn't want to favorable about? Any roles that I regret? Yeah, let's let's go with that. Any roles you regret? Something you didn't like too much when you had it? Oh my gosh! Well, you showed two of them. <laughs> that's why I said that's how we started. You must have come in late because I can tell you right now, uh, his role uh, in the, <laughs> what, uh, what was that? Terrible. The the, uh, uh, the pilot for uh, there it is. The pilot for. 
uh, Life's a Banquet, and we talked about something called Dragon, Dragon, uh, Dragon, Dragonard, uh, where he was a he let a white guy leave a black slave revolt. So yeah, those two things we kind of covered. So I shouldn't go any deeper than that. <laughs> I mean, there's nothing more absurd than Dragonard. There really isn't. Um, <laughs> Yes, it took a white slave me to help lead black slaves. <laughs> That's the kind of garbage we were making 35 years ago. Oh, I was 22, so yeah, that was, 20, that was a long time ago. Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was just, uh, the whole thing was just absurd. But, uh, and a lot of bad acting, and I was the worst in it. Well, any other, hmm. <sighs> There, there are a couple of things. Yeah, I, I like I forget the names of them. You know, like you'll do a favor for somebody, and then uh, you'll show up and do a favor, and then it ends up on your IMDb, and then you talk to me, you go, look, dude, I, hi, oh, geez, I, I did this as a favor, and I showed up, and I was on your set till three o'clock in the morning because you're a friend of mine, and now it's in my IMDb page, and I was supposed to, you, you didn't want credit on it, you were trying to get out of that. Yeah, and I go, and now I just look like an idiot for being on it. But yeah, uh, as they say, uh, no good deed goes something. I forget. <laughs> Unpunished, I believe. <laughs> yeah. And let me just say, you're such a, you was such a lovable and likable guy. Black people will follow you anywhere. I speak for them. I tell you this right now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll just, we'll probably make this the last question because I said this is a very busy man. We're lucky to have him for the time that we have him. Uh, we talked about your son doing video games, but you have done plenty of video game voices too. Uh, I don't know if there's any big difference doing video game voices than it is doing uh, voices for animated TV shows and movies, but somebody wants to know about that. And in particular, is Austinic. He wants to know what it was like doing Hugo Vasquez uh, Vasquez and Tales of the Borderlands and doing video game roles uh, and voice acting. Okay, that's what I said compared to movies and television. Well, uh, do, doing voice acting in these video games, video games have become much more sort of interactive and stories into them themselves here. It's almost like what you, it's almost like recording for a cartoon when you're doing a video game right now. Vasquez would have just been like playing some sort of douchey villain in a cartoon. <laughs> he was a douchey guy in this, and uh, and and uh, that's just sort of the approach that you you take. I mean, I still don't know how the game works. I never played the game. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter as long as you got paid for it, right? <laughs> yeah, I play online backgammon. That's what I do. Backgammon. Wow, online. Online. <laughs> uh. You know, I, I think, okay, I said that was the last one, but this is going to be the last one. Uh, it's definitely, thank you guys for all your questions. This is the last one. Uh, if you had a dream role, anything in the future that you could play right now, any desire to play anything, what, what would that be? Is there any character that you want to do for a while that you hope to do maybe one day? Well, I think I'd like to play the Duke and maybe a, a John Wayne biography. Ah, be are, interesting. are we talking about uh, pre or post Playboy interview? Oh my god! <laughs> you know, and I gotta say, you would, uh, you have, uh, you could do it, man. If uh, and I'm not even kidding around here. I'm not, you know. I think now that you brought it up, regardless of what anybody feels about John Wayne, uh, we're talking about classic Duke. You could definitely do that. 
Yeah, you know, it could be interesting to do like a really honest biography. It's like, you know, it just paints a picture of everybody and, uh, you know, they're all pretty colors, you know. Look at the, you know, the inside warts and all could be an interesting <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe they'll do one of those deep biopics where they talk about the man and, and his legend and his flaws, and you could do that one day, you know, who yeah. knows. Uh, you know what AS, ASMR is? I think is what it's called. Oh, yeah, that's the, uh, oh, they, it's, some people love it, some people hate it. I'm probably one of those ones who just, it's where you make the sounds and. Uh, yeah. Some people are saying they would gladly pay you money if you would just make sounds. You don't have to make words, just make sounds, eat something. Your voice is so great, people, people said they could uh, fall asleep to it, so. Uh, we did do that with uh, Lemmy Snicket. I did that in characters let me snick it so i think that is out there somewhere we did a little bit of a gag is let me snick it asmr yeah someone even just said it that you did one for snick it i gotta tell you man people they love you in here man they and i'm sorry that we can't get uh, everything that you want but people are I, there's just a cascade of, of of not only questions but just huge compliments to you people just they, they just love you man you know that and they have so many uh things i want to ask about we can't do that people we have to go uh this man has to go catch corona on the set that he's working on right now so. well I, I do want to say that i'm thankful for for all that and um um you know um that does mean a lot Corey. and so i really do appreciate that because i love people and that's why it's been really hard you know this last year for all of us just just the pain and everything going on, you know, it's just, um, it's, uh, I want to see, uh, see us all in a good place again. Yeah. Yeah. I think, that, you know, to, I'll close with this. I think that's why people really, really, uh, just, you know, love your work because they just see the, you know, the, given what you just said, they see the, that you're a genuinely great person, man. I think that comes through in your work. Uh, and I think that's why people are loving this right now. They just, they just think that you're a really cool guy and, and, and very much has shown, very much has shown. You do interviews with a lot of people. You can tell when people lay back such as you are and just a pleasure to talk to. And this has truly been a pleasure to talk to you. I hope uh, I hope it's been the same for you. Thank you so much. Well, Cor Corey, it has. So, I mean, a lot of love. A lot of love, Corey. Thank you. No, thank you. And good luck. Uh, good luck on the film right now. And definitely looking forward to. Whatever else that you're doing, which I'm sure is going to be plenty more to come. So thank you so much. Thank you, Corey. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And thank you out there. Uh, you were such a great audience today. And I wish that I could. I wish I could have covered everything. It is so hard to do one of these unless you have a couple of hours. It is impossible, impossible to go through and talk about everything that this man has done, or anybody with the body of work that this man has has done. Uh, wish we could have done a part two or something, but you know, you, you see this right here. Everybody has their favorites. Everybody has their memories. It is, it, again, it's just, I wish I could have asked him about everything, and believe me, I have questions about it too. But it's also cool to see somebody sit back and just be, a real decent and pleasurable human being, man, and uh, someone that you could just sit back and have this really mellow and nice discussion with. Uh, he wouldn't remember it, but like I said, I talked to him years ago, uh, back in 1999, and uh, I can tell you, uh, it looks like he's gotten nicer with age. So, 
I want to thank you guys for being here today. I'm going to go ahead and pull up the chat fam real quick because you guys, I did not have it up because I usually don't pull up the chat when I'm doing an interview because I don't want to get in the way of all the, you know, the, 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 of the video while we're doing this. It's a little more laid back. But uh, I want to thank you guys, man. Thank you for being here. <clears throat> you guys are awesome. You're great. You truly are. And I hope, you, I hope you had a good time with the interview. We've done so many, and you just hope that it, you, you, this interview would just be as good as the last one. You're not always asking me better, but you're just hoping that you can maintain. If you had a good interview, you can only hope that you can do as good as the last one. And I, I hope that you guys enjoyed this. Uh, yeah, people. Yeah, I had a... Somebody said, I didn't know you met him in 1999. It was an interview for that movie, The Woman Chaser, that we were talking about earlier. Uh, he was talking about how he was really into this movie, and it's a small film, but it did give him a chance to do something differently. So yeah, I talked to him back then. Loved that film. Hopefully when, uh, when we get back to quote-unquote normal times, we can go back to having parties and gatherings, and we'll have a viewing party for that if we can get around to it. Uh, let me see here. He just responded, I think. <laughs> Let me show you what he said here. This is actually pretty cool. Uh, this is really nice, man. He says, wow, you're awesome, sir. Thank you for a great interview. I very much enjoyed this. Lots of love, brother. And then he signs off with warbs. Well, that right there, you can't ask for more. All you want is somebody to come in and have a great time doing an interview, and hopefully you didn't offend them. And... Hopefully they had a great time. So, yeah, man. Very sweet of him. Very sweet. Ah, well, that makes my day. Now I can go off and have lunch and feel like I accomplished something. So, once again, thank you guys. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, all of you wonderful people in our community. Please, if you like what we do, you want to see more of these interviews we're about to start our youtube channel just for the interviews uh that'll probably start sometime this week but if you like what we do here if you enjoy the shows if you enjoy these interviews uh please support us uh check out all the stuff that we do check our, our youtube channel where we put all of our edited content up uh please subscribe to the channel our twitch channel get yourself a free subscription with your Amazon Prime account, and please support us through our new Patreon. We're trying to not only keep doing what we're doing, but we're trying to get to the point where we can do some animation. I've been drawing you guys. I have a stream coming up very soon showing you some of these pictures that I've been drawing. And uh, get some bonus materials, bonus streams, and other perks that will come your way if you support us over there. So, all right, let me quit begging. Let me let you guys go. Thank you very much, and we will see you on the next one, whatever that will be. KCoolmans at gmail.com. That's K-C-O-O-L-M-A-N-Z at gmail.com. You email us with any kind of questions, comments, compliments, insults, input, and our advice. Hit us up on our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you ever find yourself here in Austin, Texas, Hopefully it'll be when it's safe. Then please let us know. You can start out by letting us know your plans ahead of time. 
once we get Big Ron off the streets. Kcoolmans at gmail.com. Let us know if you're moving here or just simply passing through. We'd love to once again hang out with you. All right, everybody, that is it. Good night, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you are listening to or watching this, goodbye and stay toasty. <laughs>